0: I went into Roots Cafe the other day and I ran into a friend of mine who I happen to know is clean and sober and he was sitting with his nephew who I also learned is in sobriety and I told him about our podcast Liars, Thieves, Gluttons and Whores and he just loved the title and said oh I want that on a t-shirt and I said well
1: do you suppose we'll hear stories about addiction we might oh stories about recovery too Mm, But mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Liars! And thieves, and gluttons, and whores. Oh, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my! Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my! Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Oh, my! my.
0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. You are on the air with me, Nancy Adair, the host and creator of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores, the podcast that brings you stories from both the dark side and the light side of addiction and recovery. And with me today, again, is my season two co-host, Lori Jones. So excited to have you here, Lori.
1: Good morning. Hello, hello. Glad to be here. Thank you.
0: And Lori came up with the topic for our show today, so I'll let her introduce it.
1: Okay, so this is what's been on my mind a bit, and I'll just, I'll just spit it out. Root cause. Root cause. Root cause. Root cause. So when we're thinking about um, sobriety or thinking about any addiction, really, OK, whatever brought us to that addiction, what I've been thinking about are those root causes. And so, you know, because I, I like to have I like to think about the why behind everything, like the why's behind. I like to sort of dig back in that and understand. And so and that's that's even like understanding myself. Because in sobriety, you have to deal with a lot of shit. And, and in my case, I'm not going to drink a bottle of wine. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna drink my face off in order to not feel those things or because I'm stressed out about things. And so, you know, for me, in order to maintain healthy, I have to think about, you know, what were some of those things that were causing me to drink so much? And then how do I manage those things in my everyday life? Because let's face it, it, you know, the world's kind of crazy, you know, and I mean, that 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 is the way it is. There's always going to be stress um, and there are always going to be challenges and we'll be, you know, finding ways to look to, to work through those. So how do we stay healthy? I believe it's through um, kind of considering those root causes, right? Because I know that we've had conversations before about, you know, addicts in general. You know, who are those people? They're our favorite people, Nancy. They're our favorite people because they're creative, um, artistic, um, intuitive, right? Like another show we were talking about, intuition. And so I think that, you know, those characteristics also bring on a lot of sensitivity. So when you are a sensitive person, what are those root causes that, you know, really screw you up. And how do you manage those?
0: I often say that, you know, the addict alcoholic is an above average intelligence with a very sensitive nervous system. And that's a hell of a combination. It's difficult Mm. to be that intelligent, to see so many ills in the world and be that sensitive to them and not Turn to drugs, food, alcohol in order to take the edge off. Mm -hmm. You're more sensitive and you've given up your best friend or whatever saved you. I actually believe that my addiction saved my life
1: Mm.
0: as a young person. And then they, you know, stopped working for me. I didn't use by accident, I didn't use to, you know, keep up with a peer group. I used to stop the world from being so chaotic. And and I think I very well might have killed myself, A, without drugs or alcohol, and B, if I'd continued to use when they no longer worked, (laughs) both ways would have taken me out of this world. So I want to share a little story about when I was working as a substance abuse counselor for a rehab within a hospital. And one of the insurance providers representatives called me on the phone and said, we see that so-and-so has relapsed. And the next question was, why did they relapse? Mm. And I said, because they're alcoholic. (laughs) You know, like uh, it's not a great mystery that most people with addiction problems will relapse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the representative was really, yeah, yeah, but what what else? You know, what was going on that caused the relapse? And I was yeah. like, the statistics show, you know, that people relapse in early recovery. And, you know, there are a myriad of causes. A lot of the root causes are fear, doubt, and insecurity.
1: Oh, wait, 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 wait. Say that again. Say,
0: say that one more time. We've got to hear that again. That's a do-over. Our fear, doubt, and insecurity. Mm. And most often when I'm having to deliver a diagnosis for insurance companies, I often use a diagnosis of general anxiety because it is reimbursed, because it is so accepted, where there is still a lot of stigma around addiction. And most of the people that I've worked with are trying to self-medicate anxiety and depression.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's really big, actually. So when I think about root cause for myself, you know, you just hit a nerve with me fear, doubt and insecurity. That's why I asked to have it twice because I'm sure, there's people out there listening. Um, you know the anxiety. I think I'm just speaking personally for myself, and this might resonate with somebody else who's listening. I know for myself, I didn't start drinking, um, you know, heavily until I was in my 30s, and mostly like even in my it, it, when I turned 40 and into my mid 40s because. I think, I think I just got to the point where I realized, and I, you know, when I was appreciative, that alcohol took the edge off that anxiety. And I didn't, I didn't discover that until, like I said, in my 30s. So up to that point, I suffered. I suffered with my anxiety. I suffered with my fears out and insecurity. And then I found a way to take the edge off, which it didn't diminish. It didn't take it away. It actually made it worse. We all know, right? Like we we know all the stories, right? Um, but for that time, it just takes the edge off. It took the edge off. I didn't know it. And it's like, wow, this is great. Like, holy shit. I just found a way to kind of unwind a bit. But then we know that you know it gets worse and worse. And I think the reason I think it's important to understand, like for, for myself, how I started drinking excessively is to understand my anxiety understand my own fear doubt and insecurity so I can manage it now because I don't know um maybe there's others that can relate to this because when I first stopped drinking alcohol I just thought I should just not go around people that drank and I shouldn't go to bars and I should just like absolutely exclude are. myself yeah and I you know and I'm a musician who lives in bars and you know who <laughs> you know it's part of entertainment like you know for a while when i you know when i quit i i felt the need to isolate myself
0: that i need, if, if i
1: isolated myself and if i wasn't around people then i could get through this and i think that i think what's important is you're still going to have fear doubt insecurity you're still going to be sitting there with yourself feeling it and having to deal with it and so um how I think you know, I think this is an important conversation because how do you deal with all that and the anxiety after you've made the decision, you know, to be clean and sober, and to understand that that that's probably what brought you here. That's that's what brought you here. All that uncomfortableness. And so, how do we, um, you know, get through on a regular basing, basis, knowing that people suck sometimes, they're going to stress you out life's not perfect, it's going to be stress. And how do you deal with it now without isolating yourself from the real world?
0: Right. Which is and, easy to do. And part of what I was saying to you is like, here you are discovering that you're anxious being in bars and you live in them to perform and that music is your life. You know, yeah. Lori's is a singer and songwriter and in my book, a rock star, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, it's pretty hard. And I, I work with a lot of very talented artists that are singers and songwriters like yourself, also um, writers and fine artists. And, and I think we are even more sensitive than the average person who Mm -hmm. is sensitive and addicted you know it's like a subgroup of addicts in recovery are artists in recovery
1: yeah that's a whole thing in itself I mean I'm at a point now where I don't isolate you know I want to be around other musicians I love going to concerts I love live music I play in bars you know and so my you know my um my view is different. The ice, you know, it took a while. It took a few years to get there. But now, I mean, I like to have a good time. I like being around people. I enjoy playing music, and I'm realizing that, um, you know, I don't drink. So what? And like, uh, you know, we've talked about this before. You know, nine times out of ten, nobody even knows what you're doing. Nobody even cares what you're doing. But it's very real to have that um, that self conscious feel. Um, To not want to be around drinking or be around people that's drinking. um, Or, you know, I mean, the isolation is real.
0: You know, I I mean, it was a weird of myself. You know, I initially got sober and and I got sober before you started drinking heavily. (laughs) Like I (laughs) got sober at 24 years of age. Um, And I. I jokingly and with all seriousness say to people that I had enough for a lifetime before I quit at 24. And that Mm -hmm. is true. And, um, you know, for me, I wanted to be young and um, out dancing and partying. And so I had to find ways to do that without drinking. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I remember... Uh, What it's like to have sober eyes when you're newly sober, the people that I thought were my people, I really want to hang out with them the same way. You know, there was one birthday party I went to really when I was like just weeks sober and people were drinking heavily and I watched this woman sit on a guy's lap and lean in to him flirting with him, you know, and I used to think that was the really cute thing to do, you know, I I mean, it could have been me. But for the first time with sober eyes, I saw him leaning back in the chair away from her rolling his eyes looking totally disgusted. And I thought, "Ew, that's what that's what I was really doing, you know, and Other people, you know, ate the um, fish out of the fish tank that were tropical fish or, you know, fried them or peed in the sink. It's like, oh, that that stuff used to look really fun. What happened? You know, somewhere it's like, I don't want to pee in a sink. I don't want (laughs) to eat fish that are meant to be, you know, somebody else's pets or, you know. I just, it's it changes the world and mm-hmm. how i do it just the same as studying with a colorist changed my view of the world i saw red and green in people's faces for the first time you know i mm-hmm. saw yep. all the greenery like how many different colors of green there were in in the trees like it's like all of a sudden it it changed um, so I think there is a, a real sense of loss when you first give up the substance because mm-hmm. it took that edge off. And then there's a sense of what do I do now?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like- almost not- like a panic. It's almost it's like it. a panic
1: too. Don't you think? It's, it's almost like a little bit of a panic. Like, oh my gosh, okay. So I, so I know I don't drink anymore. I won't be doing that. Now, what do I do with myself? What like what do I do? And you know, I think that's really important for anybody who's sober curious or maybe early in sobriety, just to understand that yeah, it's weird, it's awkward. It is weird, especially when you've spent, you know, um a lot of your life or several, several years in the same pattern. It's like undoing this this pattern um that was, you know, that you thought was um taking the edge off, you know, some of, uh, you know, your emotions, your anxiety, and then you find yourself, okay, I quit drinking, but now I'm full of emotions and anxiety because I don't know what to do with myself.
0: So there is a saying around 12 step communities that there's the feeling is being the hole in the donut. Ooh, You know, who am I now? And I also want to say related to 12 steps that through that process, which I believe is a process of personal empowerment, there's the opportunity to grow, not just in the ways of learning how to be less anxious or mitigate the anxiety when it's really bothering you. There's opportunity to change our personalities. I I actually refer to it often as the Lazarus syndrome, because we're like raising from the dead. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, feels that way. A whole new life in front of us, and for me, that life continues to grow and to get better and better. And I'm 42 years into sobriety, and the other day I was taking a look at something that I've always felt is um, people like doing business with busy people, and I've been addressing. Some of the same things that you've talked about in a in a recent show, Laurie, is being able to slow down and quiet in order to listen more to the direction of the universe and the Mm -hmm. guidance that I receive when I get quiet. I tend to rush and I was listening to a recording about this idea that we give up our character flaws or the ones that aren't serving us any longer, who will we be? And I used to kind of poo-poo that saying of um the hole in the donut, like I know who I am and I like who I am. And I I like, you know, I had a sponsor once who used to say, Nancy, I just want you in the middle of the bed. And I'm like, no, I'm the monkey that's jumping on the bed, falling <laughs> off, hitting its head and climbing back up and jumping higher. You know, it's like, I want to be that busy person and Mm -hmm. I was like oh maybe I'm afraid of slowing down for what messages I'll receive or where am I who am I going to be if not that both arrogant and wild and funny and fast-paced and yeah yeah
1: because what 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 happens when it gets quiet? What happens when you stop moving? You know, I think I can relate to what you're saying because, you know, I'm a um, sort of a self-proclaimed workaholic. I like to have a lot of things going. I, you know, I'm probably the monkey on the bed too, jumping off and landing on my head. Um, I like to have a lot of projects going. I like to have a lot of things spinning and Part of that is, I believe, the fear of things stopping. And, and who are you? You know, I, I, ju- I just think that sometimes, I mean, that is an addiction in itself, but I just think that um, we like to stay moving. We like to stay busy because sometimes it's uncomfortable to be quiet. But at the same time, what we're saying is we got to get quiet to, to even know um,
0: what the answers are to some of this.
1: Wow, it's not easy. Come on. No,
0: and and back to the title root causes. I I think it's dependency. Yeah, like a lot's coming out now. I feel old in a way. In terms, I've been doing counseling, some form of counseling, since I was seventeen, and I'm sixty-six. So Mm -hmm. I've got a lot of years.
1: (laughs) You know, you know what you you know what the hell you're doing. That's what I would say.
0: And there's a lot of new material, and I don't like to read much, and about attachment styles. And I think it's really good stuff, because it's that attachment, that early childhood development around dependency. Can we trust? Um, Mm. Did we have those caregivers that, you know, helped us to build our self-esteem? What happens when you get sober? What age were you when you stopped drinking, Lori?
1: Oh my goodness. 40. I don't
0: know. Let me think about that. I'll have to I'm gonna do
1: I'm gonna count on my fingers and come back to that.
0: All right. Ballpark in our mid-40s. You know, when you mm-hmm. get sober, let's say in your mid-40s, and you all of a sudden are thrown back to feeling like an adolescent. Mm-hmm. Many people, again, it's kind of out of the 12 step community, say that we stopped developing when we started using, at least when we started using heavily. And so, you know, I mean, I started smoking pot when I was nine. I don't okay. want, even at 24, to come to relationships as a nine year old. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Preproducent. Oh, I screwed that up, but you know what I mean. Uh, it's, mm-hmm like you don't have the wisdom and I still feel it at 66 I feel really young and um and like to be very active etc however there's that wisdom that I see in other people one example is when people in conflict or when when they're asked to do something you said Laura you've got A ton of projects all going on at the same time. When someone would ask me, or they'd ask a friend of mine to, you know, come on a committee or or to do a project, they'd say, Well, let me take 24 hours to think about it, or let me sleep on it. I Mm -hmm. never knew that. Like that's a really good tool. That's really good. I got to answer now, <laughs> or if I want to, we'll do it. You know, not giving thought to can I do it well? Can I give it the time that it deserves or requires?
1: You know what popped in my head? You, you were just when you were saying that people pleasing, people pleasing. Yeah, I mean, really think about that. I'll I'll get back to you in twenty four hours when I've had time to realize it's a terrible idea.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. Or, you know, someone asked me to uh, join a board the other day, and I realized that I really wanted to. I was scared. I, I, you Uh know, there was an equal part that just wanted to shy away from the responsibility. And what I determined was I had to let go of something else in my life in order to make room for it. And I took the time to do that. And I told the woman that invited me, if this position is still open, I will be considering it. And I just want to see if someone else can take on this project that I need to let go of to make room for it. And it all worked out. Yeah. Um, But that's very unusual. Thinking of it now, I'm like, yay, me. I did that Yeah, no kidding.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I mean, I. You know, we have these conversations and we land on these things. And I'm thinking like, this is like, this is gold for the day because being able to kind of take a step back and not be in the moment to please somebody as to what they want to hear and having, you had a little plan there. Like, okay, you know, in order for me to do this thing, I'm going to have to probably give up something else. And what would that be? Take something else
0: off my plate. Yeah, yeah, and I was I was that was all on the heels of saying that some of the root core cause, causes for addiction, I believe, are our development and attachment styles and the fact that we are dependent. You know, there's nothing wrong with interdependency um, where we get in trouble is when we're overly dependent or unwilling to ask for help, unwilling to mm-hmm. um you know, we have to do it all ourselves. That's a different type of attachment style and problem, right? So, yeah, I
1: think we're, I think we're coming up with a list of life hacks. You think (laughs) about life, life hacks. So everyone out there, one of life's hacks, you heard it today on the show is to take 24 hours to make a decision. If somebody asked you something, and you're, you you should sleep on it. And we could, we can make bumper stickers and t-shirts on that. I'm going to sleep on it because I think that's a life hack. Number one is, um, sleep on it. I'm, I'm writing that down. I'm probably going to have to have that tattooed somewhere.
0: Yeah. And, and when you just said on a t-shirt, we have a lot of liars, thieves, gluttons and whores merchandise. So I'm going to add that one sleep on it. Yes, <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah. Um, And of course, we need to conclude and and we'll end there. However, really keep the conversation going. Let's look at all these life hacks because that's really important when somebody is newly either sober or sober curious and looking at, oh, what do I do if I'm not using? What do I do if I don't have this crutch? or this helpmate you know it's not always looked on addiction isn't looked on negatively it's like my social group or my entertainment or my livelihood in your case Mm -hmm. like how do I do this how do I make this choice to be clean and sober in the world today thank you very much thank you
1: we want to hear your life hacks folks so let us know Do you suppose we'll hear stories about addiction? We might. Oh. Stories about recovery, too? Hmm. But mostly stories about how addiction turns smart, sensitive people into liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores. Liars? And thieves? And gluttons and whores. Oh, liars, liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores, oh my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores, oh my. Liars, thieves, gluttons, and whores, oh my. Are you a fan of Liars, Thieves, Gluttons, and Whores podcast? Do you want to support the show and show off your love for LTGW? Look no further than You Can Do Merch Store, brought to you by host and creator Nancy Adair.